Welcome to the Geriatric Journal Club, featuring practical discussions on the front line of PALTC issues that you wrestle with every day. References for this podcast and links to previous recordings can be found at paltc.org slash journal club. Support for this podcast is brought to you by U.S. Post-Acute Care. Did you know that the post-acute and long-term care setting has one of the highest polypharmacy rates, which increases the risk for adverse events and drug interactions? Join AMDA's new initiative. It's called Drive to Deprescribe, Optimizing Medication Use in PALTC. The kickoff meeting will be held on Thursday, May 20th. Learn more at paltc.org slash drive, the number two, deprescribe. So good afternoon, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, we are very excited about our discussion today and um, our guest speaker. I want to go ahead and start, as we usually do, around the state of the state. Um, in the United States, we are over 32 million cases, and um, our death um, rates are are pretty consistent. We have about 573,000 um, um, plus um, deaths now, but where we're seeing the surge is really in, in India. And, you know, we wanna make sure that we're mindful of that because we do, we, we've seen in our numbers that we're sort of reaching a, a, a better state where we have actually seen a, a drop in our percentage of new cases when we look at the seven day moving average for positivity rate across the United States, it's at 6.3%. Um, um, as of April 27th, which was yesterday, the number of new cases was 47,691, and that is a significant drop. Here in Florida, our um, seven day average for positivity rates is 8.97%. And when we look at what's happening across the state, we're seeing um, a drop in our cases as well. Um, 5,280 new cases were reported on April 26th, and that positivity rate um, was 6.92%. We are also seeing that with the, the vaccinations and our SNFs um, and the, the fact that we're vac vaccinating our residents, we're getting some really great results. Um, the positivity rates for both staff and SNPs has been under 0.5% um, and is even lower than that. So, you know, really good numbers. Where we're, where we're going now is when we look at what's happening across um, the United States, we are seeing that we're, we've been able to administer over 232 million doses of vaccinations. In the geriatric population, that means there's 81.8% of, of 65 years or older who's received that first dose. For Florida, over 14.6 million have received, um, um, have been fully vaccinated. So, or let me correct myself, over 14.69 million have had doses administered. Um, the breakdown of fully vaccinated to um, one dose is a little different and we're still getting those updates. One update that I wanted to share was that uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine ha has been resumed. Um, it was interesting. I was on a 
I was on the, the Colorado Medical Directors Association annual meeting and I was listening to Dr. Nace as he was stating, stay tuned to the news. And at five o'clock, we saw that update. So I thought that was very interesting. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is there's still a lot of hesitancy. And we're going to talk more about that when um, we talk with Dr. Gar. The other news is that the CDC um, came out with some new guidance, and I, I will, Dr. Gar, make sure my husband knows this because it now takes away a lot of his reservations about getting us um, even an anniversary outing. <laughs> so the CDC issued new guidance around outdoor masks and um, guidance for fully vaccinated people. And we know that this is um, something that we've been waiting for and is, has a really huge impact with our facilities. So I don't want to steal any thunder from Dr. Gar. I want her to be able to, to share some information with us. And for those of you who do not know um, Dr. Swati Gar, um, she is the chair of AMDA's Infection Advisory Committee. She's also treasurer of AMDA, newly elected. Um, she is, she was one of our, I think maybe our second um, guest here on our journal club last year. Uh, and we talked about preparedness and how we were all losing our collective minds. So <laughs> it's great to have you back. And if you want, you can go ahead and um, take the ball and, and share with us some information. Absolutely. What a pleasure it is. And I, I mean, haven't we come a long, long way together? So thank you for the opportunity. I mean, it's, um, it's pretty remarkable, actually, to come today and talk about uh, these things. I mean, yesterday, I had put on my Instagram post, I mean, CDC is dropping guidance like Taylor Swift drops her album, you know. <laughs> so it was quite, a, you know, quite a celebration, you know. Um, and also, yes, uh, congratulations on your anniversary, I think. Like I said, uh, you can tell your husband you got a gift from CDC. Of course, you gave a gift to yourself by getting vaccinated, <laughs> you know. Um, so just wanted to briefly touch up on a few things. And, uh, you know, we all know it is very important to, uh, to, to vaccinate, you know, the staff. And that has been our biggest challenge. So I'll briefly talk about this and talk about why it is important and, uh, and uh, you know, what we know as far as data is concerned, and then go into, you know, the new guidance that has come out really yesterday uh, from CDC as well as CMS. And, you know, talk about these significant changes that we are going to be seeing in the coming days, or we will have to, you know, bring into our protocols, you know, as medical directors in our in our uh, facilities. So I will start sharing my screen. And let's see if I can. Uh... Share. Do you all see my screen? Yes, you can see it. Okay, perfect. So I just wanted to share a few slides. So why is it important for vaccinate, you know, healthcare staff to be vaccinated? We know that our residents have gotten vaccinated and, uh, you know, a large, large number of our residents have gotten vaccinated. So I just wanted to share this modeling that CDC had done, you know, their, um, their vaccine group. And, uh, you know, on the left, you see, um, you know, the healthcare providers, if they're vaccinated, if you're 
if you know if the vaccine efficacy if your all your healthcare provider are vaccinated and um <clears throat> if the vaccine efficacy was only 50% uh then you know your uh, you know infection and death rates uh you know, how they they get affected as well you know versus if the residents are vaccinated um and basically you know what they showed is that the vaccination uh of healthcare providers results in greater reduction in both infections and death uh versus just vaccinating the nursing home residents that is their modeling data that shows so you know if you had to do one intervention and you have the choice of either vaccinating all the um all the now this is all theoretical all the residents versus uh, vaccinating only the healthcare providers you want to go with the healthcare providers because that is what the modeling studies have shown uh, has it borne out in in practice or in other data that is coming out this is a study that was published you know that is actually preprint it was preprint when i got it um it is by stefan stefan gravenstein out of brown university in rhode island and you know you, he basically you know they they actually got the antibody titers and if you look at it uh, you know the anti spike protein anti receptor binding domain and then they did the neutralizing antibody and if you focus on if you focus on this neutralizing titer which is you know what matters uh, the control is your healthcare providers and your nursing home is the nursing home residents right and so they said if you vaccinate the healthcare providers versus the nursing home residents look at their antibody titers you know these are healthcare providers look how much higher they are in you know this box is higher than this one but look at these guys over here you know there are some who are not able to generate as much antibody titer even after vaccination so you know this is something that we have to keep in mind now these are of course convalescent and you know they they are kind of at par with this so it is you know the two questions are being answered in this i guess one is um one is do i need to really get vaccinated if i have received you know if i've already had covid i mean this is the question that your families are going to ask you over and over and over again and you can basically tell them that um you know this is just the control group this is not even our um our residents so you know your control group uh, antibody neutralizing antibody titer is kind of similar to the lower um you know antibody titer that is being generated in your residence so the number one question that is being answered is yes you do need to be vaccinated and look at these people who are uh, who had prior SARS-CoV-2 and then got vaccinated and look at how much higher their antibody titer are, right? So, you know, it's, so the two questions that are answered are one, yes, you do need the vaccination. Number two is um, that, you know, it is so, so important for your staff to get vaccinated because, you know, these folks here have overall a you know somewhat of a limited response i mean it's a great response but you know you got to protect these residents and therefore it is so important for them to get vaccinated so you know this is you know we talk about uh diane you talked about vaccine hesitancy and you know this is a, this is a interesting 
uh, Kaiser Family Foundation did uh, the study or survey and basically found, you know, who are people really listening to, right? And what they showed is that they are more like, most likely to listen to you guys, you know, a, a doctor, nurse, or other healthcare providers. So it's so, so important for us to continue to drive home that point, because what we have also seen is that, you know, after these early people took the vaccines, I mean, you know, change management, change happens in a curve. And those early, um, uh, early adapters, you know, they kind of will go and they will, you know, those are the first people who will buy an iPhone when it is out, right? So as soon as the vaccine is out, there were some people who are like, yeah, I want to get the vaccine. I mean, I was one of them. Um, so, um, so, you know, those are the people that are going to just go and take the vaccine. The middle ones are going to be the ones that are going to kind of see what is going on. We'll need a little nudge, you know, we'll need some help in kind of climbing over that fence that they have created for yourself. But what you say matters to them. So it's very, very important. And I, uh, and the other thing that I wanted to uh, also say is, you know, a lot of our, um, our um, frontline healthcare pro providers are people of color. And, you know, they do tend to listen to their religious, religious leaders as well. They are a big influence. So, you know, that's the other strategy that we could, you know, kind of look into is, you, you know, letting going and meeting the religious leaders and answering some of the questions that they have. And if you are able to, you know, go and, you know, deploy that strategy of really talking to these people who have influence in your staff's, staff's lives, you know, that may be a good, good way to do it as well. Why is, uh, so, so, you know, we, we talk about, uh, okay, so we got the vaccine and now we can go around and, you know, we don't have to wear a mask. And I, you know, this is something that Diane, you had talked about, you know, in India, right? You know, there is a new variant uh, that they are talking about in India. It's B1617, which is, uh, which is a crazy variant because, you know, currently this is what we know. This, this is, um, this is what, uh, you know, CDC had put out. And if you, so these blue ones are the, you know, pre-existing virus, uh, you know, the, the original COVID, right? Uh, um, and coronavirus. And as you see, the, the number of, uh, you know, original coronavirus is going down significantly. I mean, look at the bars, right? So what is the story inside these stagnant numbers or these low numbers is the following. The original uh, virus is actually going down, but what is increasing is the variance. And that is, uh, you know, worrisome. Um, so if you literally drew a line straight, straight up, look where your curve is going. And now you put the B117, let me just talk briefly about that. That is your UK variant. And uh, what we know about that is that is uh, that it is probably more contagious than the original coronavirus. So, you know, we have to look out for that in our community. For example, we are seeing that B117 variant um, uh, as well as we are seeing the South African variant as well. So it's important for us to know, you know, which variants are in your community. Um, uh, and then the P1 is the Brazilian variant. So, you know, this is this tan line as uh, your B117 and then your B1351 uh, um, uh, uh, is your South African and then your P1 is uh, your, uh, your uh, Brazilian variant. And, uh, you know, there is no doubt that we are going to start seeing some other variants as well. Um, 
we know that the, the vaccine is actually fairly effective against uh, any of these variants. Um, uh, you know, of course, you know, it's if in the variants, it's most effective against the B117 is the the data that we are getting right now. And then, of course, you know, the 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 more mutations there are um, or the specific mutations in the South African and Brazilian variant, uh, you know, they tend to want to blow through the immunity. So uh, and to your staff members who are just wanting to take that the first shot of Pfizer or Moderna and say, you know, I'm good. Um, the 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 variants, uh, the Brazilian and the South African. And, you know, once we get the Indian variant as well, we expect that it's just going to blow through the immunity that like as if it's not there. So, you know, there uh, you got to be prepared for what you are uh, what you're going to be dealing with. All right. So. Um, we we were so excited about this um, uh, the the guidance that CDC has actually come out with and and the CMS has come out with. I mean, I literally have it all in papers and am frantically underlining and highlighting because we are going to want to implement these guidances. And we have been kind of you know um, chomping at the bit to bring some of this guidance because it's very much based in. Uh, what the data is showing us, you know. So, what is the background of this guidance from CDC? Is uh, is basically CDC from their data uh, out in the field is gaining a lot of confidence about these vaccines, you know, on these vaccines, and basically it's showing how confident CDC is in the effectiveness of these vaccines. So, um, uh, I am very much welcoming of the new guidance um, that uh, that they have come out with now. That guidance affects pretty much all walks of life in our nursing homes. So <clears throat> to operationalize this, this is what we did. And I'm, I'm sure that there are many good ways to operationalize it. But because there are so many different things that we are finding out that uh, we are going to want to change or will have to change, we uh, today we deployed our staff guidance that is very specific to staff. And that is also, you know, staff. 1.0 today. So I'll briefly go over the new changes that you anticipate seeing in your facilities. I think a lot of them are going to be very welcome. Um, but let me just go uh, go ahead and start. So, you know, uh, the, the way that we I divided it is um, testing requirement changes, quarantine changes, dining and meeting changes. So fully vaccinated, the new guidance basically puts fully vaccinated staff and residents and really, uh, you know, is speaking to the um, safety uh, and the decrease in transmission as well of uh, and acquiring COVID in these folks. So there is a clear line drawn between what do you do when you have unvaccinated people in the mix? What do you do when you have vaccinated people? So if your staff is fully vaccinated, which means two weeks after your second shot, uh, and your staff doesn't have one of those immune, uh, you know, uh, low immunity um, conditions, and CDC has clearly talked about those low immunity, if you are on um, current chemotherapy, if you have had bone marrow uh, uh, transplant in the last one year, if you're on immune modulating agents because of that, etc., you are 
going to be that high risk individual and you're going to be uh, in in that unvaccinated resident uh, unvaccinated staff pool but for fully vaccinated staff the following has changed so when we do testing we do testing based on your community prevalence so for example we were at 3.8 i think is the lowest that we went and now we are going up again going back diane to your point of we have to be very cognizant of what may be going on in our community. We went to 3.8 and people are like, yeah, it went away. Well, no, it's coming back. And what we are seeing is again, you know, the, the numbers are creeping up. So we are at 5%. We are supposed to get done our testing done once a week. Fully vaccinated staff members do not need routine testing. Do not need routine testing. So people who are getting, you know, uh, with your numbers, I believe uh, you would also be uh, getting tested, uh, you know, once a week. Um, fully vaccinated people do not need testing, routine testing. Now, symptomatic staff needs to be tested immediately. Outbreak testing needs to be exactly what we were doing. So everything else stays the same routine testing fully vaccinated staff does not need to be tested what does that mean for the facility facilities need to keep uh, accounting for staff members who have been fully vaccinated that is very important this is something that you know our hr department basically was telling us that you cannot ask for vaccination status well now cdc and cms both are basically saying it's the facility's responsibility to keep track of the staff who is fully vaccinated. And in fact, we had we just had our, um, a survey and they asked for a list of staff members who were fully vaccinated. So it's important for you to do that. Now, the way that we have uh, tried to make sure that we are, uh, uh, of course, keeping sure, uh, making sure that PHI, you know, their privacy, our staff's privacy is um, ensured is our infection preventionist, who is also doing the job of uh, employee health, is keeping, keeping a track of that. And our DONs, because, you know, they are going to be the ones that are uh, making sure that, you know, people are getting appropriately tested. So only they have access to the list of staff members who are fully vaccinated and people who are unvaccinated. So that is the number one change that we are seeing and that has been implemented in our facility as of today. Quarantine requirements. If you if your staff member has had exposure to a positive patient, a big exposure, they don't need to quarantine. They only need testing. So if I had an exposure, I'm fully vaccinated, I had an exposure, an unprotected exposure, I don't need to sit at home for 14 days. I can come to work, uh, I, can, I need to monitor my um, symptoms, I need to get tested immediately, then on day five, and then uh, one more time. But once you are done with that testing, you're good to go. So they don't need to take PDOs. So that's an important change as well. Dining, fully vaccinated staff members can take break together in break room and dine together around a single table. That is a huge change from what we have been doing in the past you know, year. Meetings. If you are, if your team is fully vaccinated, you can actually now sit around the table and have a meeting. So these are important changes that 
that CDC is now recommending. And what we have done is we have taken the first part of it, testing and quarantine, and we're going to implement that. And then we're going to talk about dinings and meetings tomorrow and uh, slowly put that into, bring that into effect. Let's talk about residents briefly. Um, testing uh, requirement for residents. Of course, residents are not supposed to be tested routinely. I mean, I know that there are some states who were requiring the residents to be tested routinely. That is not appropriate. That you need to only test the staff routinely. Um, <clears throat> uh, testing of, you know, quarantine testing, uh, I mean, sorry, outbreak testing is gonna be the same. We have to have very, very, you know, one thing that I've seen in our nursing home is this is a balancing act. We are looking at um, variants in our community. So uh, one of the things that I noticed is since we didn't have an outbreak for a long time, our facility kind of, you know, people get complacent. So if somebody is having nausea, for example, and or they are having some shortness of breath, you know, we need to we need to kind of come back and really heighten our sense of the typical symptoms of covid and have a very low threshold of testing people so that is because we are now doing more visitation and we are now making our facility a little vulnerable to the to the variants so we have to continue to have very strong clinical surveillance and testing thresholds should continue to be very low if there is a clinical symptom. Um, uh, quarantine, quarantine, very important. What, what CDC has come out and said is, now you're gonna start seeing fully vaccinated residents coming in as admissions. Fully vaccinated residents who are coming in as admissions do not need 14 days of quarantine. That is a huge change from that 14 days of quarantine requirement that we had. So we had a few patients like that. And actually, I was going to reach out to CDC and say, you know, we feel like the, the, you can really mitigate the risk by vaccinating. Somebody is fully vaccinated. Their chance of acquiring COVID is fairly low. So could we change this quarantine requirement. The caveat is they should not have had an exposure to COVID while in the hospital or any time in the 14 days prior to getting admitted to your facility. So that's an important caveat to bear in mind. Um, dining. Fully vaccinated residents in communal activities like dining, and other activities can have activities that are unmasked around a table. So for example, if your full cohort of residents who's playing bingo or who is dining together um, is fully vaccinated, then they can sit around a table and dine and they can play bingo unmasked. However, even if there is one person who is unvaccinated in the room, everyone will have to mask. So it, that, is, that is an important change that we are gonna start seeing. Quickly, I think this is my last point. Visitors, place of meeting is important. CDC is basically saying, try to have that meeting in an outdoor environment. So, you know, that is something that we have been trying in our facility. We are not allowing the visitors to walk through the facility. 
what we are uh, what we are doing is we have designated indoor area that gets you know fully decontaminated after um, uh, fully disinfected after uh, you know the meeting has taken place and we are scheduling in that inside area but our preferred site of meeting is outside so we have several outdoor designated benches and you know tables etc where our um, visitors are meeting our um, our residents because again it is important to risk mitigate from that standpoint um, type of meeting if there are two fully vaccinated uh, people meeting each other like husband and wife have been fully vaccinated the husband is coming from outside they can sit together have close contact uh, with each other. So that is something that basically CDC is saying is that you gotta make a determination whether fully vaccinated, close contact with each other, one person fully vaccinated, one person not fully vaccinated. You know, it depends on, you know, what this person who's fully vaccinated wants, your resident wants. Uh, however, the recommendation is that you do keep that risk in mind and let them know that there is still a risk that they will you know that they are exposed so the risk is higher unvaccinated of course the risk is going to be further more so yeah so these are basically um the changes that cdc has um kind of put in place and now a word from our sponsor u.s post-acute care let's talk for a minute about goals of care conversations now more than ever, post-acute clinicians should initiate these discussions with their patients. At U.S. Post-Acute Care, our clinical team is committed to regular goals of care conversations with each seriously ill patient. We help our patients to think through their goals and express what's most important to them. Now we can develop a care plan that aligns with their goals and their values. Using a technique first developed by Ariadne Labs, these structured conversations have shown meaningful improvements in the quality, cost, and effectiveness of care. Our chief medical officer, Dr. Kevin Henning, is highly committed to making the goals of care conversation a foundation of effective care for our clinical team. At US Post-Acute Care, that's what we think. Now we'd like to know what you think. You can reach us at uspostacutecare.com or on LinkedIn, and Dr. Henning will be happy to respond. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a, th those are a lot of changes. I was, I'm, I think there was a request to have you go back through the quarantine stuff because that's something that um, um, it's just everything has changed. I know. <laughs> I know. Here is what I would say. Here is what I would say. I mean, the only way that we are trying to make sure that we are uh, following the changes appropriately. So because of that, we have decided we are going to do it in a stepwise pattern and not try to implement every single change because it's going to be, it's going to be a mess if we are not smart about it. So um, you said, so, that, yeah, go ahead. I had a question um, because one person's facility said they have to wait, um, await CMS approval of the new guidelines before applying it to the residents. Can you speak to that? 
Yeah. So I had um, emailed Kara, who is the head of, you know, long-term care and CDC, um, long-term care division and CDC. And I said, when is CMS going to change their guidance? And she sent me the CMS guidance and I can actually send you the links. Uh, yeah, it came out yesterday. Mm -hmm. It came out yesterday. So they are absolutely lockstep with each other, which is lovely to see, actually. <laughs> you, so, mentioned, yeah. you mentioned something about having your survey, the survey and the surveyors asking about this. And I really want to maybe unpack that a, a little bit. What do we need to anticipate if we're getting into our survey windows? What do we need to anticipate about how they look at uh, outbreak now, given some of the, the studies about the fact that we sort of follow what the community is doing and we're getting our residents vaccinated, but you may have staff who's not vaccinated. And just to put a little bit more color on that, there was a big book in the New York Times how a staff facility. So what do we do? Is, what are they saying about all of that? So, uh, you know, surveyors are now, like I said, you know, we had... Um, uh, we had our survey just happen last week, and um, it was a great survey, thank God, and, you know, kudos to our staff, but they did ask us, you know, um, uh, HR has been pushing us, uh, you know, pushing back on us saying that, you know, you cannot have different policies for different people, but, you know, when CDC comes out with stuff like that, it makes sense because, you know, it, it helps us push that, um, you know, uh, smarter policies through. So I, I think that is that is a good thing. They definitely asked for who are um, who are our staff members who are fully vaccinated. So they do expect you to keep a list of that, which is which was new for us because you know we were we are always kind of worried about uh, our staff, uh, you know, privacy and medical record privacy. But, uh, you know, those, this is something your surveyors are going to ask you for. And I, it's clearly, clearly written in CDC. In fact, I kind of underlined it in red because, you know, that is definitely different from what we thought that we were supposed to do. So they, they expect us to keep that list with us and updated. Can you go back and talk again about the testing? So if you have a, we have the majority of our, like say our, all of our physicians are vaccinated. They're fully vaccinated. They are no longer, depending on the rate, no longer have to do the, the testing either weekly or some counties bi-weekly because they're fully vaccinated. Because you're about yes. to make a lot of people happy. So I, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, and, and I will be honest, I mean, you know, a lot of our senior leadership team and staff in staff members, they're all vaccinated. Um, and, uh, and we have been we have kind of hit a roadblock here with, you know, we are actually providing um, vaccination to our staff once a week. You know, we are opening up clinics once a week because, you know, you have to, of course, open that valve. We cannot do it every day. Mm -hmm. um, we are making sure that we are doing it on Wednesday. So every resident who is a new admission gets asked um, if they have been vaccinated. If not, you know, the physician or, um, uh, or the nurse practitioner are counseling them and asking all, uh, answering all the questions regarding vaccination, uh, figuring out if they need the vaccine 
then they are getting put on the list. So our strategy to keep COVID out and keep the outbreaks to the minimum has been as soon as that person hits your door, you ask them about the vaccination. Within that first week, you should be able to vaccinate them. Mm -hmm. um, so we're also going out and trying to and asking the staff members and CDC clearly says that you should continue to they uh, they have very good language actually I'm gonna read verbatim because this was important to me um, what they had written so facilities should continue to promote and provide vaccination for all healthcare providers so ongoing, um, you know, push is very important in this case. You know, we talked about vaccine hesitancy. It is that it is going to your nurses and, you know, even in the ward and talking to them, you know, in an open, non-threatening way about how important vaccine is. You know, what, uh, what great studies that are coming out, uh, you know, for off vac vaccine effectiveness, as well as vaccine safety. You know, even with the J&J, &J, when that happened, you know, people are like, well, we knew, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, this just proves to you that CDC has a very tight control, uh, you know, tight uh, control over what they are doing. So, I took that opportunity. I mean, we need to take that opportunity to educate the staff and say, listen, this is a proof that CDC is getting the data, getting ev all the data from everywhere, looking at the data, looking at the signals. And if there is a signal, they are not hesitant to put a pause and look if there is seriously a problem or if this is something that they can overcome. I mean, what better example than the J&J vaccine, uh, you know, pause to basically say, we really are invested in your safety, right? That, that is so true. And I um, had the experience of having more people that I knew had myself will never call me and ask about what were your thoughts. And given that my daughter and my husband, that, that was the shot that they received. And like, it is okay. You know, you have none of these symptoms that they, um, they mentioned, and there is people who are observing everything that we get in. And I think that that is um, the leading strategy. What we're doing here in Florida through the FMDA is we're starting um, a vaccine hesitancy strategy. And I think everything that you're sharing is even more reason that we could go back to the, um, to the staff and say, this is why we need you to be vaccinated. This is how we get back to the new normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one, one of the ways that I, I mean, I love to garden. So I, you know, you'll see a lot of gardening analogies. You know, um, a lot of people in Florida, I think, love to have um, your front yard and your grass, right? You know, your, uh, you know, your yard has a lot of grass. And I'm like, you know, it's the same way. If the weeds will grow, if your grass is not healthy, right? So you got to make sure that your grass is healthy. Basically, the misinformation will grow if you don't put out enough information. You got to put out real information constantly, keep updating it, but keep talking to your staff because I can tell you, Diane, every single time I've gone and talked to the staff, you know, you feel as, as an educator, you know, I feel, you know, you always have this 
I don't know, an idea that when I talk to the staff, they should be able to change their mind. Minds don't change, may not change immediately. That needle keeps moving though. You know, and that is one of the, one experience I'll share with you. You know, I um, talked to one of my kitchen staff and he was a person of color and I talked to you and I said, you know, I'm really worried about you. You know, let's talk, you know, and we had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It was a non-threatening conversation. We talked about so many things. We talked about the Tuskegee trials and I said that that is real. That is real. And I uh, was concerned myself and look at this data. I mean, you know, the vaccine studies have had, you know, one in 10 were African-Americans. So, you know, that makes me feel better about that. There is no difference in the efficacy and, you know, safety of the vaccine between any races. And then, you know, we also talked about, you know, why, why is Bill Gates involved? You know, is there a microchip? You still have to approach it with very respect, I mean, because that's real for them, you know. It's but the information that they're receiving, so yes. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I had that conversation and I'm like, came home, I'm like, you know, I spent this one hour, for sure he's gonna get the vaccine tomorrow. Well, that didn't happen, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, uh, sometimes you feel like you failed, but then, you know, um, and then I, I'm like, I forgot it. And, you know, you keep moving on. But then, um, you know, after we had our annual meeting, I, when I went back to the nursing home, you know, I called the nursing home to get an update. And there he was. He's like, Dr. Gar, I just wanted to let you know I got my first shot. And I did it, you know, for you. And I, I mean, it's, it's incredible that it's so every time you guys talk to, every time we are talking to our staff, it is moving the needle. We just need to be so aware of that. And I'm like, yeah, you really did it for yourself, but it, it made me so, so happy, right? No, but it's, it's being aware, being sensitive. You know, I think the, the some of this, the misinformation, it, it, it is not just in one cultural. It, it is going across. Um, across. Um, people who we would call like lay people who are not into the, to the science. And sometimes it's even in, in with um, doctors and nurses. And, and I think it really comes from being from a place where you have to let people know that you're, you are so grateful that they are here and that we really want you to stay healthy. And that has been how I led every conversation because I, I'm, I really want you to stay healthy. I do not want to lose another person who I know to this, especially when we have tools that can work. I want to, to shift gears and ask you a question about because um, with all the, the different variants and talking about the variant in India, India, my concern is, how effective are the monoclonal antibodies against some of the variants? Do we have any information um, beyond what um, we saw with the FDA talking about BAM not being able to be used um, as in isolation? And I call it BAM because I will never be able to pronounce that correctly. 
<laughs> me, me as well. Me as well. So I think, um, is there plenty of data uh, against the variants? No, we don't have a lot of data against the variants of these. However, you know, it, this is a very important strategy, and I'm so glad that you brought that up. So basically, you know, if you look at the strategy in the nursing home, you know, I always talk about, you know, what is your percentage strategy, you know, uh, of what we are doing to keep our residents safe. So, you know, of course, right Right now, you know, your 70% is vaccination. So, you know, I always tell seven in 10 efforts should go into vaccinating our staff and our residents aggressively. Masking and PPE use is right there with it, you know, but bam, uh, plus Eddie, you know, I'll just kind of have nicknames for everything because God knows I can't. Um, if I said it like 100 times, I would be able to, but you know why? Uh, hopefully we will not be, <laughs> you know, we get people vaccinated, we don't have uh, these outbreaks, but we, we may, we may. So that is an important strategy to have in those residents that you would go and talk and go and talk and they would still say, I don't want the vaccine. So, uh, so we had actually, um, you know, an outbreak, an outbreak in vaccinated residents the good news about that was that we had four residents. So we had one staff member who was unvaccinated who, um, who tested positive. So then we did testing of the whole entire facility and one person tested, uh, one resident tested positive. He was already uh, vaccinated, fully vaccinated. Um, and then two, two more residents tested positive after that in the next go round. So, um, they were also fully vaccinated. The good news about that, I guess, is um, uh, is basically none of them had, so I said, you know, I want the sequencing, you know, I want the sequencing of this, uh, you know, what virus is this? Why are we getting that outbreak? Um, the CT values were so high on all three of them that, you know, we could not sequence them. Uh, I guess that is, that is a bad news and a good news because I would have loved to get the sequence. But the good news is if the CT values are that high, I'm not sure if they could even have transmitted to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's a hopeful thing when, you know, people are, are getting, you know, outbreaks. Most of our residents are getting outbreaks where the CT values are super high. So we don't see this, you know, that crazy transmission that we saw in the nursing homes we are not seeing that kind of crazy transmission in fully vaccinated people. Um, we did give one of our residents, um, you know, he had nausea and vomiting. Uh, we were not sure if that was really related to, you know, he had many other medical problems that were going on. And we were not sure if it was really related to COVID, but because he had mild symptoms of COVID, clinical symptoms of COVID, we did end up giving him the combination. So either use of Regeneron and the two combination of that or the BAM plus Eti is, is an effective strategy for you to have. Um, uh, if you have these breakthrough outbreaks um, or there are residents who are completely refusing to take the vaccine and you get, you know, and they get positive, so. Let me ask, when we're thinking, okay, if we're in that position, like as you were mentioning, 
what do you do first? If you're the medical director of the building or even um, an attending and a clinician in the building and there is an outbreak and you want to request sequencing, you want to know, um, track back to which hospitals, all of that. What is the first thing that you, the infection provisionalist, the DON, what is the first thing you're doing? I mean, the first thing is that, you know, as soon as we get somebody positive, everyone goes into isolation, right? You know, yeah. you quarantine everyone. And then you start, you know, we have, we had developed a very strong contact tracing kind of, you know, because we were keeping track of all the people, personnel who were working in that unit. So what we do is you immediately test everyone, right? Shut, you know, you stop the visitation, stop the facility, except for, except for truly end of life visitations, you just stop everything. You completely, from an infection control standpoint, this is the absolute key. This is like the absolute thing that you have to do. You are going to want to completely block off the units, right? Whatever happened, you know, whichever unit it arose in or your staff worked in a particular unit, that unit needs to be completely isolated, complete cohorting of staff, residents, equipment and shut the doors down. I mean, that is the strategy that has worked, whether you have vaccinated people or unvaccinated people. And if you don't do that, your facility is going to be in a mess. So that is our number one strategy is shut all the doors down and no passing through the doors. I mean, we have had food carts that have to go take a meandering road uh, because you know our facility is one of the older facilities, but we do it. We do it because we know that that works every single time. Then you test everyone and basically CDC has said, you test everyone or CMS as well. Test everyone immediately, test everyone within five to seven days of that first test and then five to seven days of the other test, you know, until 14 days are up and then you can lift the, you know, quarantine for everyone. So that is, that is basically your strategy. Um, also make sure that you have a place even if you don't have people who um, are testing positive and you have been out of outbreak for a long time, at least have those two or three or four beds where you can completely cohort these COVID uh, patients uh, because it may happen. It'll, it's coming to your neck of the woods and you don't want to be unprepared. So you do have to have that you know, contingency for cohorting. What happens to antimicrobial stewardship? What has happened <laughs> during this pandemic? All we've been talking about is COVID, 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 as if that's the only thing that exists. And, you know, we are seeing in some buildings more antibiotic use, you know, you know, I don't know, I'm not there hands on, so I'm going to put you on an antibiotic empirically. What, what has happened to um, all of our strategies? <laughs> I mean, they have gone <laughs> they have gone out the window. I mean, we are doing, I mean, I think uh, we're going to find that we're doing a lot of panic uh, antimicrobial use. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, I had talked about when, um, when we had um, the annual conference is really co-infection or uh, super infection or bacterial infection um, during or after COVID is of the magnitude of like 14%, 13, 14%. But we are giving antibiotics at very, very high rates, over 40% or 50. I, I need to pull that data and I'm happy to send that data. I uh, maybe kind of 
uh, off a little bit on the numbers, but the co-infection is very low, very low. And the problem is that people who have had lung involvement in COVID, their x-ray for a long time is going to look like an infiltrate, you know, and bilateral infiltrate. Yes. So every time there is going something going on with that person, if they are coughing or something is happening, I mean, we have to come back to that lobes minimum criteria use and then plan on starting an antibiotic. Resist the urge to treat an x-ray because x-ray is not We're seeing those changes six and 12 months after. Absolutely. And the, you know, the, the, I've had people call and say, I need an antibiotic or I need um, that special cough syrup for this person. Like, you don't need a special cough syrup, <laughs> you know, no opioids and, and no antibiotics. We need to just um, stay the course. Let, let me give you some other um, um, symptomatic treatment. But yeah, I think, I think there is a trick where we're, we're in such a crisis mode still. And maybe that's the, the issue. We're practicing still in that crisis mode, even though we're seeing declines in rates and everything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that, you know, while we have, a, you know, so a couple things that I will say about antimicrobial stewardship. One, that, uh, you know, while as physician, I continue to, you know, take care of COVID and you're, you, you can't do it all, empower your antimicrobial stewardship team. And for us, our, you know, I have made our pharmacist, consultant pharmacist, the champion of that. So first of all, have, have your antimicrobial stewardship program pretty study, right? So we have, based on the antimicrobial, antimicro, uh, antibiogram data that our local hospital gets to us for our patients, we have assigned, you know, this, these are the preferred antibiotic choices. So we have that PDF that we circulate heavily among the nurses who call people and uh, who call the clinicians and the clinicians as well. We make it available. We talk to them as soon as they are onboarded and yearly about the antimicrobial stewardship program. And then we have the consultant pharmacist who is kind of going back and saying, you know what, are you fulfilling the Megear criteria? Or was there a low minimum criteria that was fulfilled before this antibiotic was started? And she is basically turning around and saying, oh, I see that you started Levaquin, but our choice of treatment based on our, uh, you know, protocols is really augmenting. Would you mind changing that and the duration as well? So, you know, they are the ones that are monitoring. So it's basically, you know, we are working as a team because our infection preventionist who would otherwise do that is so busy with COVID stuff. And we are busy with, you know, these, all these clinical conundrums that we are getting. So empower your antimicrobial stewardship team to question the clinicians and talk through some of these decisions. Um, uh, that, is going to be, that is going to be very important. The other thing is telemedicine, right? You know, uh, one of the things, one of the studies that, you know, I talk about cellulitis, right? Most of the antibiotics in long-term care are given by people who have not seen the patient. You know, now you have telemedicine, right? See the patient. Yeah. 
see the patient, see that leg, see that wound. I mean, I have today a patient, they are like, you know, Dr. Gar, it looks like cellulitis. And I'm like, you know what? I have a FMDA meeting from 12 to one. How about we zoom after that? You know, so take, take that five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or take, make it a visit and bill for it for by all means. But look at that wound. Now, you know, with telemedicine, that's the bright side of, you know, having COVID. You have that opportunity to see a patient prior to starting antibiotics. Yeah, it, it, it really has evolved what we need to do. And you sort of led into my um, final question about where do we go? Um, where I, I see that we have in the American Rescue Plan, there, there is information about supporting nursing homes with strike teams and, and, you know, supporting infection control, but it really feels like the onus is on us. How do we move it forward? What do we need to do to evolve infection control and, and, and really make it what we need it to be as we've learned all of these things from the pandemic? Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, uh, COVID, uh, I don't know where COVID is going, right? It may be another flu, but we still have flu, right? You know, I, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, uh, my infection preventionist called me. She's like, you know, Dr. Gar, we did this, uh, this uh, test, the full, full-on test, uh, the panel. And now, uh, you know, parainfluenza is showing up as one of the viruses. What should I do? And I'm like, isolate them till, you know, 48 hours after the symptoms. You know, take the same isolation that you have learned from COVID that we were wanting to teach ourselves, you know, for flu. Yes. Take that and apply it. Now you know what to do, you know? So I think there are a lot of good lessons that we can learn from this moving forward. You know, use of enhanced PPE in infections, you know, MDROs that are of concern, et cetera. It's just going to make, it has made us realize that when we are, you know, really asked for it and we have a will, we are able to step up to that task. So it's, um, you know, I, I am seeing a lot of silver lining these days, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for this conversation you made. This has been the, the funnest meeting I've had today. <laughs> and I'll, I'll definitely tell my husband that I, I had, I got a gift from the CDC. Thank you everyone who listened in. We will um, make sure we uh, get all these slides uploaded, get the links to you um, as Dr. Garson. Support for this podcast is brought to you by U.S. Post-Acute Care. References for this podcast and links to previous recordings can be found at paltc.org slash journal club.